Open God's holy word to Jeremiah chapter 47. We'll be looking today at Jeremiah chapters 47 and 48. Jeremiah 47 through 48. The word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail at the noise of the stamping of the hooves of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels. The fathers look not back to their children, so feeble are their hands because of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every helper that remains. For Yahweh is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has perished. O remnant of their valley, how long will you gash yourselves? O sword of Yahweh, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself in your scabbard. Rest and be still. How can it be quiet when Yahweh has given it a charge? Against Ashkelon. And against the seashore he has appointed it. Concerning Moab. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel. Woe to Nebo, for it is laid waste. Kiriathaim is put to shame, it is taken. The fortress is put to shame and broken down. The renown of Moab is no more. In Heshbon they plan disaster against her. Oh, come, let us cut her off from being a nation. You also, O madman, shall be put shall be brought to silence. The sword shall pursue you. A voice, a cry from Horonaim, desolation and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have made a cry. For at the ascent of Luith, they go up weeping. For at the descent of Horonaim, they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. Flee, save yourselves. You'll be like a juniper in the desert. For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Chemosh shall go into exile with his priest and his officials. The destroyer shall come upon every city, and no city shall escape. The valley shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed, as Yahweh has spoken. Give wings to Moab, for she would fly away. Her cities shall become a desolation with no inhabitant in them. Cursed is he who does the work of Yahweh with slackness. And cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So his taste remains in him and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I shall send him pourers who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars in pieces. Then Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How do you say, we are heroes and mighty men of war? The destroyer of Moab and his cities has come up, and the choicest of his young men 
have gone down to slaughter, declares the king, whose name is Yahweh of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction hastens swiftly. Grieve for him, all you who are around him, and all who know his name. Say, how the mighty scepter is broken, the glorious staff. Come down from your glory and sit on the parched ground, O inhabitant of Dibon. For the destroyer of Moab has come up against you and has destroyed your strongholds. Stand by the way and watch, O inhabitant of Aurora. Ask him who flees and, and her who escapes and say, and her who escapes say, what has happened? Moab is put to shame for it is broken. Wail and cry. Tell it beside the Arnon that Moab is laid waste. Judgment has come upon the tableland, upon Holon and Jaza and Mephaeth and Dibon and Nebo and Beth Dibliathaim and Kiriathaim and Beth Gamol and Beth Mion and Kiriath and Basra and all the cities of the land of Moab far and near. The horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, declares Yahweh. Make him drunk because he magnified himself against Yahweh so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit. And he too shall be held in derision. Was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves that whenever you spoke of him you wagged your head? Leave the cities and dwell in the rock, O inhabitant of Moab. Be like the dove that rests in the sides of the mouth of a gorge. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride and his arrogance and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declares Yahweh. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. Therefore I will wail for Moab. I will cry out for all Moab, for the men of Kir Hereseth I mourn. More than for Jazer I weep for you, O vine of Sibma. Your branches passed over the sea, reached to the sea of Jazer. On your summer fruits and your grapes the destroyer has fallen. Gladness and joy have been taken away from the fruitful land of Moab. I've made the wine cease from the winepress. No one treads them with shouts of joy. The shouting is not the shout of joy. From the outcry at Heshbon, even to Eliela, as far as Jaez, they utter their voice from Zoar to Horonaim and Eglith Shelisha. For the waters of Nimrim have also become desolate. And I will bring to an end in Moab, declares Yahweh, him who offers sacrifice in the high place, and makes offerings to his God. Therefore my heart mourns for Moab like a flute, and my heart mourns like a flute for the men of Kir Hereseth. Therefore the riches they gained have perished. For the, every head is shaved and every beard cut off. On all the hands are gashes, and around the waist is sackcloth. On all the housetops of Moab and in the squares there is nothing but lamentation. For I have broken Moab like a vessel, for which no one cares, declares Yahweh. How it is broken. How they wail. How Moab has turned his back in shame. So Moab has become a derision and a horror to all, the na- to all that are around him. For thus says Yahweh, Behold, one shall fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Moab. The city shall be taken and the stronghold seized. The heart of the warriors of Moab shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Moab shall be destroyed and be no longer a people because he magnified himself against Yahweh. Terror, pit, and snare are before you, O inhabitant of Moab, declares Yahweh. He who flees from the terror shall fall into the pit. 
and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For I will bring these things upon Moab, the year of their punishment, declares Yahweh. In the, in the shadow of Heshbon, fugitives stopped without strength. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the house of Sion. It has destroyed the forehead of Moab, the crown of the sons of Tumult. Woe to you, O Moab, the people of Chemosh are undone. For your sons have been taken captive and your daughters into captivity. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares Yahweh. Thus far is the judgment on Moab. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, by your grace, make us sense that this text, full of names, so distant and foreign to us, that this word would not seem distant and foreign to us. But as concerning the very fate we share in, as we are part of the nations in rebellion against you, and if we have escaped, we've only escaped because of your kind mercy towards us in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. As we continue our journey through this portion of Jeremiah known as the Oracles Against the Nations, which runs from chapters 46 through 51, beginning in the west with Egypt working its way through the nations east towards Babylon. As we journey through it, you might think my directions, or rather the way I've given the directions, are a bit odd. It's as though I was giving directions and I said, step one, and I told you how to get through Oklahoma City. And then step two, so gave you directions through both Tulsa and Joplin. And then step three, through Springfield. You would think that my steps were a bit oddly organized. If I was going to group them, you'd think I got a couple of pairs mixed up and made them into three steps instead of two. What you would see geographically as being two pairs, it's as though I combined the middle portion of each pair and chopped it into three. If you're going to combine chapters here, you would expect, because of the geography, for chapters 46 and 47 to go together, and chapters 48 and 49 to go together. Egypt and Philistia were both Israel's southern neighbors sharing the Mediterranean as a border. They were not direct relations to Israel, whereas Moab and Ammon were Israel's eastern neighbors that shared the Dead Sea Jordan River as a border. And they were related to Israel, both of them descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot. So why have I grouped them in this way? Well, first, the chapter concerning Egypt is so complete and it, it just feel anticlimactic to tack on this prophecy, this word concerning the Philistines on the end of it. And second, by dividing them in this way, both of these, the reason it would seem anticlimactic, is by dividing them in this way, both homiletical sections, if you will, both, both sermon portions end with a message of hope. 
and redemption. So first, concerning the Philistines, chapter 47. The word concerning the Philistines seems to me to date from early in Jeremiah's ministry. And for two reasons. One is this word was given before Pharaoh struck Gaza, verse 1. And by itself, that's inconclusive. This could refer to a number of military incursions at any point in Egypt's history. But whenever you combine it with the next, I think it's significant. This was before Pharaoh struck Gaza, one of the, which was one of the chief cities of the Philistines. But it doesn't concern Pharaoh striking Gaza. It's before Pharaoh struck Gaza concerning a northern threat striking the Philistines. So it's before Pharaoh's done so concerning Babylon striking the Philistines. The, the threat coming from the north is Jeremiah's preferred way early in his ministry again and again of referring to Babylon. Babylon isn't named until well into the book. So Early on in Jeremiah's ministry, again and again, Babylon is referred to this threat out of the north. And so, for those reasons, I think this prophecy came very early in Jeremiah's ministry. But the floodwaters that are, which we, we see that are going to sweep over Philistia are identical then to the waters that Jeremiah spoke of in chapter 1 that will spill over out of that boiling pot precariously tipped away from the north. These floodwaters come with such intensity, such ferocity, that fathers, verses 3 and 4, won't look back for their children. And the result is that she is left in this lamentable state She's cut herself, gashed herself, she's bald, and she's gashing herself because, she's cutting herself because Yahweh is cutting her, verse 5, 5 and 6. Lamentation is raised concerning the sword. How long will the sword be against us? But the sword is not, will not be sheathed until it goes forth and accomplishes the purpose for which Yahweh Senate. He gave it a charge. It will not rest until that charge is, is completed. Man cannot sheath the sword of Yahweh of hosts. Once it has left its scabbard, it matters not how intense are tears or lamentation. Man cannot sheath it. Whenever his judgment comes in its full and final swath, man cannot Stop the sword. Now is the time for repentance. Now, grace is extended. But once His word of final judgment goes forth, He cannot be moved to mercy. Whenever the flood comes, it's too late to build a boat. It's too late to buy a boat. There will be no rescue because God has sent the flood. Once the flood happened... Too late. Once God sends His sword forth for final judgment, once He decides to flood this earth with His wrath, with flaming fire, it will be too late. Heed the warning. You may lament. It matters not how intense. It matters not how earnest. 
God will not hear your largely self, not largely, your completely self-concerned pleas for escape on that day. It's too late. God has appointed a day of judgment, but know this, He's also appointed a mediator in Christ Jesus. This is the day to believe on Christ. Because on the day when you will no longer have to exercise faith, but all eyes will see Him in manifest glory, on that day, it will be too late. Next, we come to God's word concerning Moab in chapter 48. And it's unique in a, in a few ways. One, it's unique in its length. Accepting Babylon, more scroll is used concerning Moab than any of the other nations that we'll look at, which is really brought into contrast whenever you look at the word concerning Philistia and how short it is. Well, second, it's unique in the number of places that are named. Over 25 places named in this word. Mostly cities, some rivers. And, and you begin to see, once you notice that, that this, this word is also cyclical. It, it introduces kind of themes and motifs that then get picked up and recur again. But nonetheless, like a good piece of music, the, the motifs are introduced gradually so that at each point you can recognize what's been added at each point as we come along. And the first portion of this word concerning Moab really introduces and highlights this geographical element. And the effect of all these names, as you have them listed, uh, uh, is to emphasize that the desolation, the destruction is everywhere. Woe to Nebo! Kiriathaim is put to shame, verse 1. Disaster is planned against Heshbon, and madmen shall be brought to silence, verse 2. That's the name of a town, not a, not a group of people. Horonaim they, in Horonaim, they cry out, desolation and great destruction, verse 3. At Lewis, they go up weeping. Man cannot sheath God's sword, neither can he escape it. Its strike is both inevitable and its swath is wide. It can neither be defended against, nor can it be evaded. Woe to San Francisco. Mexico City will be put to shame. Disaster is planned against London. Paris and Moscow will be brought to silence. In Tokyo, they will cry out destruction and desolation. At Mumbai, they will go up weeping. The nations, every one of them will perish. There will be no escape, no evasion. On the day whenever Yahweh judges the nations, the day of which this judgment, which we're reading of, is only a faint shadow and anticipation, on that day, there will be no refuge in the rural countryside where you can hope to, to only catch the judgment indirectly. It matters not who you are. It matters not where you are. Revelation gives us some sense of this in the opening of the sixth seal. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great 
earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when it is shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. None. It matters not who. It matters not where. But sinner. Today. Know that the very sword. Which Christ will wield. Unyieldingly when he returns to this earth. Whenever he first came. He came to bear its sting. Bow before Him in repentance now and you will be made new. No longer a citizen tied to this earth that is doomed. But a citizen of heaven. The extensive nature of this destruction as we see it in this verses 1 through 5, helps you understand then something of, of what's intended by the commands to flee and to fly in verses 6 through 9. This is only the best human response at the time in light of this destruction. It's important to realize escape, get out of the city, doesn't mean they escaped judgment, it just means they endure it in a different way. The cities are destroyed. They're exiles. They're refugees. Or they're taken captive into exile. Their nation, as this passage will make plain and as history demonstrates, is completely erased. Yes, you've escaped from their city so that you weren't one of those who were slain. But do you see, you still are enduring this judgment. The whole nation is enduring the judgment of Yahweh. And so the effect is, verse 6, that Moab is like a juniper in the desert. This is like a, a, um, a tree-like shrub in, in, the, as, you know, in the wilderness, that, that, air, that dry, arid climate. So if you've, whenever you're going through New Mexico and you see the oak forest, that are about this tall. That's, that's the idea. That's what Moab has become like. Her existence is now one of subsistence. Barely existing. Barely living. This judgment has come because she trusts in her works and her treasures. And now she is a juniper in the wilderness. Like Judah, she'll, many will be taken into exile. But unlike her... It's not just her officials and her priest and her people, but her God as well in whom she is trusted. Chemosh, verse 7. Moab's works do not endure. Her treasures are taken. Her God doesn't deliver her. 
if you do not trust in Christ, all your sweat and toil is for nothing. All your riches, valueless, bankrupt, and all your gods in which you hope will fail you. God's judgment will demonstrate that He and He alone is everlasting. He alone is worthy. He alone is faithful. He alone delivers. Put your trust in Him and Him alone. Behold how vain, how trite, how paltry, how pathetic, how flimsy the things of this world are in light of Yahweh's judgment. Do not trust in your works but in the works of Christ. Do not trust in your wealth, but bank on the treasury of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do not trust in the gods men have made, but in the God who made men. Next, to communicate that this campaign against Moab will not be done half-heartedly, Yahweh pronounces a curse on the one who's to do the work of judgment. Cursed is he who does the work of Yahweh with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. The sense is not, look out Babylon. The sense is, look out Moab. This is how serious I am about this. Whatever of Babylon doesn't bring this judgment against you, I'm cursing. And the conclusion then is that Moab's future is going to be very different from her past. Verse 11. Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, so his taste remains in him and his scent is not changed. Moab is like a forgotten and dusty bottle of wine left in the cellar. She has long enjoyed peace and settled on her dreg. She's never been mixed up. She's never been poured out from one vessel to another vessel. The sense being she's never, she's never faced the kind of wars that Israel's constantly been involved in. She's never been taken into exile as Israel was. Uh, Philistia, rather, and Phoenicia, which was briefly mentioned in the word against Philistia, is included in it, Tyre and Sidon. So Philistia, Phoenicia, Egypt, Israel, uh, not Egypt, Israel, Judah, all that area lies along this major trade route. And so there were constant wars and battles through that area, whereas Moab lays just off the beaten path on the other side of the Dead Sea. On this plateau, the tableland. But God is going to send forth pourers, verse 12. She will be poured out, emptied, and her vessels shattered. And as a result, she will be ashamed of Chemosh, as Israel was ashamed of Bethel, verse 13. Whenever the kingdom of Israel was split, under Solomon's son Rehoboam, so that Jeroboam then became king 
of the northern kingdom, Israel. He was afraid of people defecting to Judah because they would go there to worship Yahweh at the temple. And so he he built two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. He did so saying, 2 Kings 12.28, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The very same sin Israel committed in the wilderness. Ultimately, those gods, those idols, did prevent Israel in mass, not in total, but in mass, from defecting to Judah, but more so they were the cause of Israel being taken into captivity. Prevented one thing only to bring about a much worse end. These gods didn't deliver them from Egypt and they won't deliver them from Assyria. And likewise, the point is, for Moab, Chemosh will prove just as impotent. As Bethel. Know that present insulation is no guarantee of future immunization. In the West, we have long been living off the fumes of the Protestant Reformation. The accrued blessings we have enjoyed should not be taken by us as any sign of God's favor with us or any guarantee of immunity from future judgment. Present insulation is no guarantee of immunization from future judgment. If you don't enjoy God's goodness in Christ, it's in Christ that you enjoy it and unto Christ that you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy God's goodness in Christ, you will enjoy His goodness only for a while and His wrath forevermore. Judgment is certain and the only sure refuge is the split rock of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners, risen for their life. Any other boast will one day prove your shame. So, with her insulation removed, her boast of heroes and mighty men is shown to be vain. Verse 14 and 15. How do you say we we are heroes and mighty men of war? You see, it wasn't that Moab was that good. She never faced any real talent. Hers was a backwater conference where she only had to play among little rivals that were beat down because they had to play the big guys. She boasted over all her neighbors who played out of conference and lost big. She just never had to face the same teams. But whenever God sends the team in, Moab is humiliated, devastated, destroyed. Verse 15, her young men go down to slaughter. Verse 17, her scepter is broken. And so therefore he must descend from this throne of glory to sit on parched ground. Verse 18, to get the sense of what it means sitting on parched ground, picture Job after his humiliation. 
Our strongholds are destroyed, verse 18. And whenever someone comes along asking, what happened? And the answer is, Moab has been put to shame and broken, verse 20. Judgment has come upon the tableland, verses 21 through 24. The list of all these, these cities and towns. She lost at home. She lost everywhere at home. Moab's horn is cut off, her arm broken, verse 25. Here's Moab boasting. We are heroes and mighty men of war. We're constantly looking in the wrong mirror instead of being a mirror. Instead of acting like a mirror, we were made not to behold our image, but to reflect God's image. And the response to seeing our reflection is often mixed. And it goes back and forth between despair and arrogance. If you look and do like what you see, you're delusional. Even if you are something, you're delusional. Because you fail to recognize this. If you are something... It's only because God has made you so. And two, He's very likely to demonstrate that what He gives, He may also take. Even if you are the biggest fish in the sea right now, because of God's hand, He can always make a bigger fish. It's not just among mortals that we play. That's the problem with looking in the mirror. Your comparison is always on the wrong level. We play before God. And He plays for keeps. All glory will be His. Because of His pride and magnifying Himself against Yahweh, Moab is made drunk, verse 26. Wallowing in his vomit, he's held in derision, verse 27. You remember in the Septuagint, that Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the oracles against the nation are placed in between Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 13, and then concluding with Jeremiah 25, 15 through 38. Here's a portion of that conclusion. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel. Thus Yahweh, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword I am sending among them. So I took the cup from Yahweh's hand and made all the nations to whom Yahweh send me drink it. Then follows a list of nations who are made to drink of it, including Moab. And Yahweh continues, Then you shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel's, Drink and be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, You must drink. 
For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares Yahweh of hosts. When God pours this cup for Moab and she is made to drink it, there's justice we see here falling on her, not just ultimately upon a horizontal level, but on a vertical level as well, because she has formerly derided Israel when she's been made to drink of this cup. And it's striking how Israel was mocked. Verse 27. Was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves that whenever you spoke of him, you wagged your head? In Matthew's gospel, we're told that whenever the Christ, the true Israel, was crucified, that two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Unlike Israel, Jesus bore the shame and derision on the cross, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. So that all the more so, can you see why those who would mock the Son of Christ crucified for sinners, boasting instead in themselves, all such will be shamed by God. In the face of this terror, Moab is again called on to flee, verse 28. Moab's pride is known, verse 29, and it is known by Yahweh, and it's known to be false. Empty, verse 30. Her pride then is not something to be in awe of, but something to mourn and lament. Instead of enjoying the fruit of her vines, then, instead of gladness for the harvest, she will taste the bitter wine of God's wrath, verses 32 through 33. There will be shouting, but it won't be the shout of treading grapes. It will be the shout of being tread as grapes. Revelation 19 tells us that whenever Christ returns from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so then, instead of shouts of joy, there will be lamentation throughout all the land, verse 34. This lamentation fills the land. Again, you get the sense from all the places named, 34 through 39. And heads are shaved, beards are cut. They cut themselves, they wear sackcloth, verse 37. Because she's been broken as a vessel for whom no one cares, all the housetop, all the, the city squares, all the public gathering places, all of them will be filled with lamentation and mourning. And nothing else, verse 38. But the most shocking element of lamentation comes in verse 36. Therefore my heart mourns for Moab. Whose heart? Verse 35. I will bring to an end in Moab, declares Yahweh, him who, sacrifice, him who offers sacrifice in the high place and makes offerings to his God. Therefore, my heart mourns for Moab. It's the same one that breaks Moab like a vessel in verse 38. I have broken Moab. The one who breaks her is also 
broken for her, in a sense. This confuses you. Remember that our Lord expressed the same kind of complexity of desire and emotion. Matthew 23, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rather than confusing us whenever we see this element of lamentation, rather than confusing us, this is the explanation for how Moab, who is so judged, could also be promised that her fortunes would be restored. More on that shortly. First Babylon, we're told, will swoop down like an eagle and spread its wings against Moab. The warriors that Moab is boasted in, they will be struck with pains like a woman in labor, verse 41. Moab will not simply be destroyed, she will be obliterated no more. Moab shall be destroyed and no longer a people, verse 42, because of his pride and arrogance. Those who flee will fall into a pit, and those who escape the pit will be trapped by a snare, verses 43 through 44. And it's Yahweh who brings all this upon her, verse 44, the year of her punishment. At Heshbon, a fire goes forth that destroys the forehead of Moab, the crown of the sons of Tumult. Now, Heshbon... Though it belonged to Moab, at one point it was, for a period of time, the possession of the Amorites. And the Amorites boasted and gloried in having taken this from Moab, so they made a taunt, which we have recorded for us in Numbers chapter 21, verses 27 through 29. Therefore the ballad singers say, come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sion be established, for fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sion, and devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab, you are undone, O people of Chemosh. He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captive to an Amorite king, Sion. But what's peculiar is whenever you're reading that in Numbers, that taunt is being brought up Because Israel has just defeated Sion, king of Amorites, who had just taken that city from Moab. So their own taunt is now coming against them. And it's real soon after this in Numbers that we see Balak, who is the king of Moab at that time, summon Balaam to curse Israel. And when he does, whenever he attempts to, This is the word he receives from Yahweh. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Numbers 24, 17. So then listen to 45 again. In the shadow of Heshbon, fugitives stopped without strength, for fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the house of Sion. It has destroyed the forehead of Moab, the crown of 
the sons of Tumult. Woe to you, O Moab, the people of Chemosh are undone, for your sons have been taken captive, your daughters into captivity. Destroyed the forehead, one who will crush the forehead of Moab. But this judgment is coming from Babylon. Yes, but it's coming from Babylon as sent by Yahweh of hosts, as sent by the one who will be born of Jacob. It's sent by Christ. Again, you see that this judgment foretells of the greater one to be brought by God incarnate, Jesus Christ, when He returns. And yet, you're told that He will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days. How so? Well, the very Christ who brings this judgment is the one who was born of Ruth the Moabite as a Savior for the peoples. The grandson of Ruth the Moabite is the hope of the nations that they may too have a Redeemer in Israel. The one who is the star of Judah will prove both judge and savior of Moab and all the nations. And so if you recognize yourself to be a citizen of Moab, a citizen of the nations, a citizen of this world doomed to judgment, if you see your idolatrous pride and self-reliance, humble yourself as Ruth the Moabite did. And you will find a Redeemer in Israel. Jesus Christ. He will be your God. And His people will be your people. No longer a Moabite citizen of this earth. But a holy nation. Unto the Lord. And whenever then His judgment does fall upon the nations, that judgment will no longer mean your destruction, but it will mean your deliverance. And so, may we the redeemed then take up the song of Naomi as she held that child, the grandfather of our Lord, in her arms, from whom the Savior would come, May it be our song now. Blessed be Yahweh, who has not left us this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to us a restorer of life and a nourisher. Let's pray. Holy Father, outside of Christ, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and without hope in this world. But praise be to you, 
You have drawn us near in Christ and grafted us into the olive tree of Israel. Sons of Abraham, sons of God. Because of our elder brother Jesus Christ in whom we have a rich and unfading inheritance. And Father, for any here that are under your judgment, may they know your redeeming grace today in Christ. And for those of us who do, may this word of judgment comfort us, cause us to cry, come Lord Jesus. May it make us earnest to share Christ with friend and neighbor. May it wean us from worldly appetite, seeing how small they are in light of your holy judgment. May it result in Christ's renown in your people. In His name we pray this. Amen.